Welcome to Service Desk. I'm Andrew. And I'm Kim. How was your day today? Well, it's a... I think we we logged on to start recording this, and I get hit with an on-call call, call, so it's been all right. It was that your first of the day? Uh, Yeah, first of the day. Oh, well, that's not so bad. First for this company, too. Oh, first of all kinds. Yeah. And you didn't, like, have to rush in and, like, save somebody or... No, thankfully. I, um... I'm not an IT guy with, you know, I don't have to drop in in a helicopter. And <laughs> although that would be really cool. Mission Impossible. <laughs> I should get like a, a SWAT vehicle to, to oh. run around in. Oh, yeah, totally. The flashing lights. I'm yes. sure you wouldn't get in trouble for impersonating a <laughs> an officer at all. It'd be fine. What about you? How's your day been going? Oh, it's been going pretty well. My week was a little bit hectic. Um I don't remember if this was last time or the time before, but like our newer software dropped. Mm-hmm. And so just helping people with some upgrade pieces to that. And it's like now it's a little bit more work on my side because I have to figure out where they are in the like what version of our software they're using. And so that's just a bit more like work uh, for me, which is it, it's it gets rough when you have yeah. multiple versions out there for support. It is. And depending on. Like, if they're um, all doing their own thing, like, some companies can go back um, quite a ways, and then there's certain pieces of it that, you know, federal law gets involved, and you have to have such and such a, a, a version in order to meet whatever standards those are. And so sometimes I have to be like, whoa, wait, you can't have this version anymore, because it doesn't meet whatever standards have been dropped by the federal government, and you need to get up to date. <laughs> yeah. So that's always kind of fun. And then most of the time in that, in, if that happens, the person's just like, well, we were going to upgrade, but then we had so-and-so left, and and they like give you the whole like big, long backstory. And it's like, I don't care, personally. This is not my anything on the line. It's you. So... I'm just telling you, <laughs> if you don't update this, you are technically in violation of a few federal laws that if somebody came in and found this, you'd get in lots of trouble. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you the truth. As an IT person, you can kind of just heavily encourage people. And uh, sometimes you just have to sit back and be like, well, yeah, I-, I documented what I said and... <laughs> I told them what what needed to happen, and I told them the consequences that I know of. I'm not sure exactly what, you know, just bad things. Um, and, uh, yeah, so if if that particular company goes down because they didn't meet some federal regulation in time, then, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I did my part. So yeah. it's interesting to see the different attitudes people have towards such things because... To be honest, realistically, the chances of a company getting caught for that particular blunder are probably relatively low, especially in more, you know, stretched out rural areas. But the consequences of having, like, not meeting some of these things and some of the fines levied against them could take down the whole company. And so... It's basically a big game of of rolling the dice, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like um, Sam and I were talking about uh, the credit card readers. I don't know if you went back and listened, but you know we you're supposed to have chip card readers, and if you don't, then you're liable for whatever happens from those people yeah. if they're 
information is stolen. And, um, you know, it's the, the companies that don't have chips on their cards yet, like they're rolling the dice. Chances of it actually coming back to bite them are probably relatively small. But if it does bite them, they're screwed hard. So it's interesting to see what kind of risks companies are willing to take. And I feel like it's whenever you get to a position like that, all it takes is one time at hitting. And then they're like, all right, fine. Yeah. And then you are paranoid for the rest of your life. Or you're fired. Maybe both. <laughs> hey, as long as you document that uh, you did your job. Yes. That, that's where um, part of the reason documentation is so important to us as IT people is because of things like that, where it's like, no, I told this person 18 times that they needed to update and they didn't. That's on them. It's no longer my issue. <laughs> I cannot be blamed for this. Yeah. Because otherwise, people get fired. And it's usually the lowest on the totem pole that could be potentially in trouble. So that's fun. Anyway. <laughs> Do you have fun news for us today? Kind of, yeah. We um, there, There's been a couple electric vehicle things that I've seen come through that I've, uh, I've been following. Oh, really? One of them uh, was that... Uh, a couple days ago, Harley-Davidson's electric motorcycle, uh -huh. they had to stop it because they had a huge charging oh, no. issue, and they weren't sure if they were going to be able to resolve it in time for production. Oh, shoot. And while I'm not a fan of a $30,000-plus motorcycle, which is what Ooh. they're racing it as, um, I do think that the market needs to have a leader like Harley-Davidson right. release a product like this. To get it sure. to become more mainstream. So I was really nervous and I was like, oh, I hope they're able to figure something out because, you know, electric motorcycles right now, very limited range. But the idea, the use case of them is very good. So as long as they can get battery tech to go up and charging tech, I think electric motorcycles are going to be probably one of the first vehicles to really take off in the electric scene. Mm -hmm. But they just announced, like, five days later, they figured it out, and they're resuming production, so. Oh, that's good. But kind of along the same lines, too, Tesla just has started coming under fire, because oh, really? some of their, um, I can't remember the model, uh, I'll have to pull it up here, um, but one of their older models um, is, they they read and write so much log files to the RAM, basically, that the hardware itself is burning out. Ooh. So when that happens, you can no longer charge the car, and you can no longer use the the end car like dashboard. Which, if you can't use that, you can't use your car. That yeah, mm. <laughs> dashboards are kind of important to car usage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, and it's not even just like oh shucks, I can't see my speed limit anymore. It's oh I can't even touch the button to turn on my car. Because everything right. is integrated with Tesla, so wow, a, a lot of there's some people from inside the company that say the amount of log file writing they're doing is excessive, to the point of it's kind of on well, them for doing this. But then at the same time, I feel like that goes back to our accountability thing we were just yeah. talking about. Like the more log files you have, the more things you can go back and look and see what's happening with the car to be able to uh, troubleshoot and be able to be like, okay, so. When it hit 42 miles per hour, this particular thing kicked in and it made it lose this much more battery life. And that can all go toward improving the next line. 
So I understand the willing, the wanting to have more log files and be able to track what's happening with the car. Yeah. But yeah, that's the other thing is storage space. That sucks. So, well, I mean, it's not even storage space. It's that they're reading and writing so much to this physical device that it's just blowing it out. It's almost like it needs like a separate something to have a log files written onto. Like there's a whole nother hard drive somewhere in the car that all it does is record log yeah, files. And it's not critical for use to It's just by itself off in the corner. Because that's the one thing, you know, I didn't really think about is like they say like the maintenance and the the longevity of an electric car is supposed to be kinda of better. But you know, if you're if you're hitting a a five year, ten year issue where your car just literally bricks itself. Oof. Right? I mean, I, I could see that happening with phones and things like that because, yeah, you know, who cares? It's a phone. Like, you just go get a new oh, one. It, but a car is... Like, could you imagine being on a road trip yeah. and ha hitting that point and you're, like, 300 miles from home? Because it happens with, like, computers, you know? Your, your computer hard drive. Oh, yeah. If you have it for long enough, it'll just stop working. You know, the data on it will go away. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it happens with, like, VHS tapes and CDs. The data on those devices will just eventually fade away, basically, mm -hmm. the more it's used. Which, and that was one of the concerns with, um, like, especially, like, the early model of the um, solid-state hard drives, which I'm assuming is what they're using. When it, When they first came out, there was a limit on how much you could read and write to them because they're just... Mm -hmm. It's just the way they are. Like, it, you get so many times and it does exactly what Tesla did. And it just, it's gone. There's nothing left to do. You can't get any more information off of it. And um, for the most part, they've overcome that. But I would imagine over five years of use, that would make 100% sense. Because if you're writing a gajillion log files every <laughs> day, that, yeah. Oof. Sucks to be them. Yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with all those log files, though, you know, it's, I, I can only imagine things going into the future all the log files that we're trying to put together and all of the the data that we collect from everything that we do anymore i mean even just the the, the phones that they record every word that we say hi alexa uh <laughs> and i just made everybody's alexa go off <laughs> um all of that kind of stuff can be recorded and that's great but you need something to be able to go through it and to compute all of the things and you know i'm really enjoying this transition <laughs> and sometimes you it almost seems like you need a planet full of people who can think and come up with the answer to the ultimate question ah what like is 42. the best pizza oh <laughs> actually so in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they don't actually have the question. They just have the answer because somebody didn't come up with the uh, computer whatever to come up with the question <laughs> to go with the answer. So it's just 42. Uh, but anyway, um, so we're on episode 42, and I thought it would be appropriate to talk about supercomputers since the whole of the planet in that particular book is a giant supercomputer. Spoilers, FYI. <laughs> I, if you haven't seen it by now, it's a little too late. Yeah, or you shouldn't expect. Well, yeah, I'll put it in the in the episode title or something. Spoilers for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, 
But yeah, so us being some some good fruity hoods, uh, I thought we would talk about that. Awesome. So have you ever seen a supercomputer other than pictures? No, I've never like been hands on or anything. The most I've ever been close to something is like a big server room, but not an actual like supercomputer. Yeah. Have you? I have not. Aww. And I super want to go and just like stand in awe <sighs> of because, like, you see the pictures of them, and it's just row and row and row and row of server rack, but they all look super cool because, yeah. you know, they spend billions and billions of dollars on these things. They're ever-evolving because, you know, computer stuff is always continuing to grow and continuing to get faster and better. It's just fascinating to me to to see, like, currently uh, in the world, they, they, like, rank all of the supercomputers, and within... You know, a couple of years, usually there's another supercomputer being built that's even faster than the one that was just built two years ago. But with those rankings, like the number of... Okay, we'll start at the very beginning. So what makes a supercomputer a supercomputer is basically it can make um, lots and lots and lots and lots of calculations per millisecond. Like we're not even in second range anymore. And the way they do that is they just have whole bunch of hardware and that it all communicates mm-hmm. together in such a way that it can work all as one computer. So if you've ever seen a, even just a single server rack, there's usually like different, uh, I've heard them called pizza boxes of different pieces of, of hardware that you can have. And in each server, you can have a lot, a lot, a lot of cores of a CPU or GPU. And so that's uh, central processing unit versus graphical processing unit. And we've talked before about Bitcoin mining and how they use, uh, graphic yeah. cards um, were so expensive and because it was being used for that parallel processing. And that's exactly what supercomputers use. They do parallel processing. But they do it on a massive scale. So... Like your normal computer CPU is measured in like gigahertz or something like that as far as how fast it can um, actually function and, and and get its thing. But when you get up into supercomputer range, they talk about flops, which it's floating point. I mean, I, I do belly flops. Is that the same thing? Right. So it's a floating point unit. Um Basically, it's all built into the the computer. I don't fully comprehend this. So if I'm not explaining it well, please, if you're listening and you want to come on and talk more about this, please, 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 please. please, If you are a supercomputer data scientist. And you want to come talk to us, that'd be amazing. But so they're measured in like teraflops, which sounds like completely made up. Verbiage. I, I love these names that they always come up with. And it's just like the next step up. So like, you know, you had your kilo, kilo. kilobytes and you went to megabytes and now we're at gigabyte for size for storage, right? So Terra is the next size up and flops are just like huge amounts of processing power. So if you get teraflops, it's like just ridiculous speed. And... They, the way they calculate this, I think the fastest one that I was able to quick look up, or, well, I've actually done quite a decent bit of research. Oh, Summit. Okay. So Summit is currently 
the the fastest supercomputer in the world. And so they have just a ridiculous quantity. And the peak speed is actually up to petaflops now. So like a teraflop would be like if you had a super duper fast home server, you could potentially get up to that or like a business server. A petaflop is just like magnitudes greater of speed. And in theory, the summit one can get up to 200. And it's like numbers that oh. my brain cannot even calculate. Like, I can't comprehend. It's like a, it's like a Google. Like, the what yeah, the term actually like, means. It's just, I, I don't understand that number. Exactly. And so that's kind of exact. It's just one of those things. It's just, it's so, so much that I can't even fully comprehend. But, so they do this. They get to these speeds by taking a bunch of CPUs and they all of them now basically use GPUs and CPUs at the same time. And they have them all set up so that they run parallel to one another. And it takes just massive amounts. So like, for instance, the power to run this thing is 13 megawatts of power. I'm not sure if that's per day or if that's per hour or what exactly, but a megawatt is enough to run a hundred homes for a day. That's one. So they take thirteen megawatts, and I can only imagine the uh, it, the, the amount of like cooling that needs to be done. That's the other thing, yeah. And so they have to have all of their server systems are set up with water cooling racks, and basically the whole area is a giant refrigerator unit because yeah. it has to to keep it cool enough because when you're running that much through any kind of hardware like the the possibility of it melting it <laughs> increases quite a bit it blows my mind how much speed and how fast these things can possibly be and they they use them for all kinds of things that i as a normal like low level IT technician can't even really begin to comprehend <laughs> but it's things like mm -hmm. climate modeling and oh like like weather forecasts and yeah and like going out and like putting in all of the very various data that they can to try to come up with the most stable most realistic climate models that they can come up with over the course of hundreds of years and <sighs> you know if you take your temperature every 15 minutes per day and you put that into a just a data sheet, like over the course of 24 hours, you've got a lot of data. If you're doing that for, you know, every, I don't know, let's say 100 miles yeah. across the United States. If you consider like how much just the temperature would take to store. Oh, yeah. And then you compound that for the entire world. And then you compound all of the other factors that they're taking into effect. So that's wind speed and, and you know, how, how much sunny percentage there is and, like, all of these kind of things to try to figure out um, and calculate out into the future. It just – things that, like, the average human mind just cannot possibly comprehend. If – to even become, like, to, to grasp, like, the number of, for instance, cores – that these processing units have on them. Mm -hmm. Like your average home computer right now has somewhere between four, usually two to four cores on a chip because that's just kind of average current 
what what's out there. Like high-end chips can get up to 16 cores on your home computers. Supercomputers have chips and things that have like 60 plus cores per chip. And then they have all of those cores processing in parallel with one another. And they've actually been able to reduce the number of cores they need by using the GPUs because they do um, parallel processing on the cores themselves and not just between the cores, Mm -hmm. which is one of those things that I can say and I can make it sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I really don't. (laughs) But like the summit currently has 2 million 414,592 cores. That makes... (laughs) (laughs) And that's... And then each core can do, you know, so much... um, So many teraflops of data or whatever. Like, it just... It's mind-bogglingly huge. And they have to have these all set up on server racks. And I think Summit had, like, 101 racks of servers so so all of these different pizza boxes and they had to do like all of the calculations to figure out how far apart they had to be and like what kind of cooling mechanisms that and so they have to take all of these kind of things into account when they're building these and they take a lot of space so i mean and it's not just something that you can stick in a you know a, a computer and put it underneath a table (laughs) no not at all like they build entire buildings for these things and each rack is probably mm, three foot square ish and then it's normally floor to ceiling or at least floor to six foot ish because i guess people have to get at them so usually they're like six foot ish um and so like these racks are pretty decent size and if you have a hundred of those it's just mind-boggling how many racks this takes and then that's just the computer room like that's where all of the computations are done and then they have to have uh like another room where they have like you can actually interact with the data that's being used because a lot of times you know computers are really good with numbers and they can take everything and put it together and 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 make a lot of computations but our brains don't work like that our brains can can look at pretty things and make models and kind of you know, draw comparisons between the two that computers can't necessarily find. There are some places that have, the, it's almost like holodeck type technology, where they have a whole other room with different computers that just takes the data and tries to put it in displayable formats. Hmm. So that's a whole other side. So that's that's the, like the processing, the data uh, analytics part. Because it kind of takes two different kinds of of setups for these things because in like a regular computer you have your cpu and then you have your motherboard and you have your graphics processing well basically for these guys their graphics they're not using it for graphic graphic they're using it for actual computation Mm -hmm. power so they're not using that to kick out pretty things it's just there to do the actual computations so they have to have something else that can show the pretty things that people can actually look at and comprehend. Um, so, yeah, and it's it's and the other thing is that it has to be on like super duper fast network to one another because all of these um, cages of, of servers, they can't just um, be hooked up to one another. Like it's not that's not how they communicate. They all communicate through uh, right now. It's all fiber. So mm-hmm. within 
the the supercomputer rooms themselves, everything is fibered together. And so there's a lot of uh, part of the reason we've been able to get up to the speeds we've been able to is because fiber allows for very low latency. Um, it, like it's not going to slow down because it hit the fiber. And it can just be instantaneous almost. And with the fiber, it also makes it very regular as well. <laughs> you like that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very proud of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, it does. Good luck ever thinking of it the same way again. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <sighs> anyway, so like the speeds of the way it connects to one another, just even within that room, has to be almost instantaneous for it all to work together. And then they have to have tons and tons and tons of storage because like your computer has RAM. Your RAM is where it writes little bits of information so that it can take that and then use it in the software or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very quick, and you don't notice it. And part of the reason you need more RAM to make some of the processes work faster. So, like, if you're just using, um, you know, a web browser versus trying to do major video or audio processing, you have to have more RAM to be able to do those things. So on supercomputer levels, we're talking, like, you have entire banks of computers that are nothing but RAM, essentially. <laughs> for the computer and Ugh. they're like it's just solid state hard drives that are basically as, as acting as ram and it's just bananas how that functions and it has to have that they call it scratch memory because it's not really ram at that point <laughs> but yeah it just that's where it writes all its little bits and pieces to be able to communicate and think through or think i guess computate through whatever it's trying to compute and the fun thing about all of these that Sam, I'm sure, already knows. But um, they all use Linux because to get up to those amounts of computations and to have an OS that can tie it all together and make file structures that make sense, it has to be something that's super customizable. And a lot of these places are all like super heavy research because that's what they're built for mostly. And so to be able to have Linux as an open source software that the people in that lab or in wherever these things are they can tweak and they can make it work for whatever their computers are and and they don't have i would imagine too having an operating system that doesn't have a lot of overhead is a huge benefit need even yeah yeah and and this is kind of it it's also part of where like some of the the newer things come out of as far as linux and open source software because you have to be able to build things that work with all of this hardware because an average, you know, Windows can't even take over. What are what are we up to for RAM? I don't remember what the like Windows 10 just can't take over a certain amount of RAM. And I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But it, Linux, you have to be you have to be able to build it to accept mm-hmm. all of the processing power possible. And so it just it's kind of fun to, to note that that's what they use. And then like the major issues we already kind of hit on. They get very, very hot and they consume a lot of power. So a lot of the things that go into figuring out where to put these things is it has to be there has to be stable power source. Like you can't just get a battery backup for these things. It's <laughs> that's not feasible for 13 megawatts well, of power. They can have a battery backup. It's called, you know, just a nuclear reactor next door. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, realistically, that, that's about what it takes. And then, yeah, the, the sheer power consumption and then the space that they take up, too. So, you know, a lot of times it'll be built in like it'll be a seemingly funky place, but it's because it has all of the pieces that are required to be able to build the supercomputer itself. And then there's also got to be really good um, internet connection because most of the people who use this aren't actually physically there. They just connect into it. So it's almost like old school mainframe computers where you used to have terminals that you would go do your thing at yeah. and the actual computer would be somewhere else. It's kind of similar in that a lot of the people who use these things are not physically there. They just dial in. It's just worldwide now versus being in one building and having a terminal in a different room. So that's the basics of a supercomputer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still feel like I just, my mind's going and it's like, oh man, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> it, it, I think it's, we're going to start seeing stuff like this used a lot more often in the sense that people are going to be interacting with them and they don't even know. So like one of Microsoft's plans I know for the future is one of the next iterations of Windows 10 is going to be Windows 10 as a service. Oh, yes. So they want to make it to where you're paying, you know, maybe four bucks a month or whatever. I don't know. To be able to use your computer. But the flip side is you're going to have access to basically a supercomputer in your living room, you know, or in your bedroom. Like your computer is going to be able to do whatever you want it to do. As long so as you have the internet to, you know, to process it. Right. So you're spending on actual physical devices to do the things. Yeah. Will be significantly less. Exactly. So you're not going to need to go out and buy a, you know, a $2,000 machine that you're going to have to update in three, four years. You just right. buy a cheap little box, a good internet connection, and uh, a service. Which could have uh, downfalls. I don't know that I like that. It's It's not bad, I think. But it's it's just going to be different, you know. It's not for everybody either, you know. Some people don't need a a giant supercomputer, but it'd That's be true. helpful for others. Yeah. yeah, it could easily be. Yeah, I don't know what I think about that. Like, I understand the the basics of software as a service. It's very lucrative because it used to be that you would pay X amount for a piece of software and then you'd use it until you absolutely had to update because your hardware required you to, mm -hmm. and that was good for every four years, that company getting some income. But now they've switched over to it being like they're just constantly updating like every you know week or two. And then you have to pay monthly to get those updates. I don't know that I like the idea of an OS being based off of that because that's your whole computer. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't going to comprehend how to be able to do anything <laughs> without... Like, if you all of a sudden, you know, missed a payment or there was some mess up, ah, oh, I just really don't like that. I'm going to end up on Linux yet. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I, I'm going to hold off judgment because I feel like, you know, for my for my personal use in gaming, you know, I feel like every three or four years I need to get a new graphics card. Okay. I, need to up I need to update my RAM. But if I can just pay, you know, maybe like 50, 60 bucks a year. And I'm just constantly getting literally the best computer I can get where I'm never going to have an issue playing any game at the highest setting possible. I, I think it'd be worth a, it, you know? 
But then there's just the downfall of, well, what happens when you stop paying for it? Do you literally lose everything that you're doing or? Yeah. But I mean, this is all riding off, like, you know, the supercomputers you were talking about. And I think it would be really cool just to have a access to a supercomputer to do my taxes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Two seconds later, they are done. Right? Probably not even. So. But as with every computer, though, it's only as good as the data you put into it. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to these things, like supercomputers are amazing and they can put together all of the information that you give it. But if you give it crappy information, it's not going to be very helpful, you know. So it, there's the whole thing with anything that is computer related it's always comes down to what kind of information you give it. So that's, I don't know, if you're using it just for gaming, not a problem. If you're using it for weather calculations, might be an issue. So yeah. But anyway, that's the basics of what uh, supercomputers are. It's always fascinating to me to see, because basically right now, there's always a competition for like which country has the fastest. And right now, the two top ones are in the US. But... The third one is in China, and the fourth one, and then the fifth one's in Switzerland. And there's one in Japan and Germany as well. But yeah, it's just really fun to see us compete worldwide yeah. and to see who can keep keep at the top because it costs a lot of money to keep these things up. Oh, I just can't even imagine. Because like I said, you have to basically every couple of years, you could potentially build a new one that's faster than the last. And like all of the theoretical building like to even calculate what it takes to build a supercomputer you almost need a supercomputer like it's just <laughs> yeah bananas to me what this takes but so this has been our uh love letter to uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy <laughs> in our discussion of what a supercomputer is if you liked what you heard here, we do have a Patreon. If you want to come support us in our discussion of all things nerd, apparently, not just computers today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have some really cool stuff. You can get into our Discord server and come ask us questions or give us recommendations. I've been getting recommendations on what phone to get uh, to oh. update my Pixel. So regardless, you can also get other perks and things like that on the Patreon, which are always fun please wherever you listen to us it helps a lot if you rate and review uh comment and uh just share it with uh someone that you know you know someone uh you think might be interested in some nerdy or computer topics just uh pick your favorite episode and send it on over and if you want to chat with us um and you're not one of our patrons which is fine you can get to us on uh, twitter and facebook if you search for service desk podcast or if you have a very specific question, you can email us yes. at servicedeskpodcast at gmail.com and send us a ticket to review in one of our episodes. Well, as always, I am Andrew. And I'm Kim. And, and we, we are, are your, your techie, techie friends. friends.